You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Chief Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorahgmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So we are in the month of Mar Chesed, bitter Chesed. Mar means bitter. Either it's the rainy season or perhaps there's no holidays because you go through the months, right? We had Rosh Hashanah and Tishrei and Chanukah and Kislev and Teves and Tu B'Shvat and Shvat and Purim, yay Purim, and Adar, Pesach and Nisan and what's called the second Passover in Iyar and then the Shvot holiday in Sivan. Most of the year, there's always, always something happening in the Jewish calendar. This month becomes the um, exception to that rule. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. But what's fascinating is, you know, we, we just finished the Sukkot holiday a couple weeks ago, and it was freezing. I was wearing my sweatshirts, and the kids were wearing coats. It was chilly. And today, three weeks since the Sukkot holiday, and it is 72 degrees. We're a week and a half into November, and you would never know it. But don't worry. Don't worry. By next week, the cold weather is on its way in. I can't say here to stay. What do I know about weather? But at least today, and it's been the last few days, the weather has been absolutely gorgeous. I hope you get a chance. Well, by the time you're listening to this, um, it may be cold. But I hope you take the opportunity to go enjoy that really beautiful weather before the cold and frost and scraping all those windshields um, starts to take place. And of course, before we get rolling, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help. We got to keep the show going. We need the show to grow and help the show spread. I need you to go to my homepage. I need you to hit one of those donate buttons, and you can leave a name. I'll give you a shout-out, memory of, happy birthday, and, of course, in advance, I do thank you. So in this week's Torah portion, we talked a lot about it in the last show. Uh, we're talking about the famous city of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities. And I actually didn't have a chance to get too deep into how wicked they were. I told you they were anti-charity. No charity, no helping people, no nothing. So it says Abraham wanted to find out. Like Abraham lives near Sodom. He's a lot of his kindness would have for people back and forth from Sodom. And uh, he needed to check out who are these people, what kind of people are we talking about. So he sent his servant, his servant Elimelech. He sends him down to, uh, I'm sorry, not Elimelech, Eliezer. He sends his servant Eliezer down to Sodom to check out what's going on. So he comes into town, and somebody sees a stranger, picks up a rock, and throws it at him. Get a big cut on his head. Eliezer's a big guy. Takes the guy, 
brings him to court and says, Your Honor, this man here threw a stone and attacked me. Look, I'm bleeding all over the place. But Eliezer did not know this is Sodom. So the judge says, well, by the look of things, it looks like um, he did bloodletting on you. So you should pay this man as a doctor. He did you a favor. $100 for a doctor's fee for bloodletting. Eliezer says, oh, that's how it works here? The judge says, yes, it is. So Eliezer picks up a stone, hits the judge on the head, makes him bleed, and says, your honor, you pay him. Then Elias is making his way around town, and he sees a wedding. He sees a wedding. How nice. I'm sure by every wedding they allow for outsiders to come who don't have anything to eat. I need something to eat, so Elias sits down. Now, the rule was in Sodom that if you invite someone to a wedding, as if you're not the father of the groom, or the groom, or the father, the bride, or the bride herself, if you're not part of the family who sends out the invitations, and you just bring along your own guest. So the punishment was you had to take off your clothes. Don't ask me why that was their punishment. That was the rule. Elias sits down. Oh, can you pass uh, some of that nice meat? Can you pass some of that potato salad? And so the first guy says, uh, who are you? Oh, I'm uh, Eliezer. Oh, that's nice. And who invited you? So Eliezer looks at the man and says, you did. What? I, I hope nobody heard that. I hope nobody heard that. And the guy says, yeah, I just remembered. I have a meeting. I have to leave. And Eliezer moves down the bench and the same conversation. Excuse me, sir. Uh, who invited you? And Eliezer says, you did. Uh, I hope nobody was listening because that would be bad. You know, I just remembered I, I, I have to bring my babysitter home. And he runs out. And Eliezer makes his way down the bench, basically getting rid of all the guests. And he has a nice meal to himself. And the third story the Medris talks about is how uh, they had a special bed. If you came to, to Sodom and you asked for a bed, they had a special bed or two beds. If you were a big guy, they put you on a small bed. And since you didn't fit, they chopped your legs off. And if you were a small guy... They put you on a big bed, and they said, oh, you don't fit, we'll uh, stretch you. And miraculously, God made sure that Eliezer fit perfectly on the bed. But in any case, uh, Sodom is a bad place. And even Lot's daughter, because Lot himself at least had some, at least earlier on, we talked about last week, had a connection to Abraham. So kindness was, I mean, he's in Sodom, but his family understood the concepts of kindness and the, the measure says there was a poor man in town, and Lot's daughter went out every night, and she would, like, give him some bread to eat. She didn't want him to starve. And the people couldn't understand, how is this beggar surviving for a week in our town? You're not allowed to give charity. It just doesn't make sense. So they had their spies out, and they caught Lot's daughter, and they, um, they her punishment was a gruesome death. Either they put honey on her and put over an ant hill and she was bitten or or a beehive and she was stung, whatever it was, a pretty horrible death. And it says God heard the cries of Sodom. And the cries are referring to that story. So Sodom is a pretty rotten place. And uh, that's where the angels are. And we talked about in the last show about prayer and Abraham coming down. 
and uh, and uh, trying to pray for Saddam. And God says, no, so now the angels come. And Lot was appointed um, as one of the judges in Saddam. So he sees the angels come, and he recognizes their, I don't know if he recognizes their angels, or he recognizes they're important, and he begs them to come to his house. Begs, begs, pleads, unlike Abraham, that as soon as Abraham says to these angels, who Abraham thought they were regular people, and Abraham says, please eat by me, bread and water, the angels say, no problem, we're in. Lot, the verse says he had to beg and plead because Lot needs some type of merit, something that he should deserve to be saved. So just inviting them and them coming is not good enough. But if if they if he begs and pleads and he shows that he really really wants these these guests, that will be a merit that will help Lot. So there's a lot of talk about salt. We all know that when they leave Sodom and Lot's wife turns around, she turns into a pillar of salt. Where Where's all this salt business come from? There's a lot, a lot of stuff about salt, all based around this story. So Lot brings the angels home. He says, do me a favor, don't wash your feet, because if you wash your feet, then and they catch us. They say, you've been here for a while. If there's still dust on your feet, it looks like you just got here. It won't be so bad. So they sit down to eat, and Lot tells his wife, um, could we get some salt? That happens to be um, that there is a custom that when people have a meal, they want salt on the table because salt protects from catastrophes. And it seems to have a basis on this story. As Lode tells his wife, get salt. And, and Lode's wife says, what are you out of your mind? We don't do that custom here. We don't do salt. Right? And now, Lode forces his wife. She's going to have to go to the neighbor. But she's busy complaining that we don't do this custom. You know why? Because she doesn't believe in God. She doesn't believe that salt has any level of protection. And uh, therefore, she doesn't want to go get the salt. Now, she does go get the salt. And she tells her neighbor, Oh, my husband, he wants... Sold for the guests. I can't believe he's doing this custom. And that neighbor spreads the word. And all of a sudden, there's a whole mob surrounding Lode's house. And Lode goes out and he tries to convince them to let him keep the guests and protect them. And they want to get their hands on the guests. And the angels um, um, make the whole mob blind. The whole mob becomes blind. They can't find the door. And they all end up going home. It is interesting that the Talmud talks about that we wash our hands at the end of a meal before we say the blessing on the food after the meal called benching, or we wash our hands because we're afraid there's what's called Sedom salt. I must have had a salt they used to use in those days on our fingers, and that salt causes blindness. Right? So you're catching on, right? The angels uh, made them blind, because they wanted to break through the door. How did they know to come? They only knew to come because of the salt story. And Saddam salt makes people blind. So it's all all wrapped around this salt story. Um, so 
the interesting question the Lavush asks is why did Lot's wife wait till Lot asked for, for salt to complain about the guests? Lot's bringing guests. Get out of here. I don't do guests. Why are you bringing people home? That's not what the Medrash says. The Medrash seems to say that, that Lot's wife's problem revolved around the request for salt. Why? So, again, as, I, as we started, at salt, we said people have salt on the table because salt is a protection. Why? What does salt have anything to do with protecting me from catastrophe and why bite a meal? Why? What's going on? So it says like this. Salt, every sacrifice that was brought on the altar you always had to put salt on it. Where does that come from? So that's really ancient. On the second day of creation, God separates the lower waters, right? Your oceans, your seas, your lakes, your rivers. And the upper waters, that's the water up in heaven, not rain. It's the water in heaven. So you have the water in heaven, and you have water down on this world. So the water down here said to God, it's not fair. What is... That water gets to be up in heaven, and we're stuck down here. So God says, don't worry, I'll make it up to you. God says, every sacrifice needs salt. Now, one of the places to get salt is obviously from the ocean, because there's more than enough salt, right? You, yeah, you make those holes in the, in the sand, and the water comes in, and the water evaporates, and you're left with all those minerals and salt. So every sacrifice has salt placed on it. What is the purpose of the altar, of the Mizbeach. Obviously, the purpose is to bring forgiveness if we've done things wrong. We did something wrong, we bring a sacrifice, we try to become a better person, and the salt must be on the sacrifice, every sacrifice. So, but we don't have an altar nowadays, right? There's no Mizbeach, there's no temple, there's no Besamikdash. So, our table is in place of the altar. We have to look at our tables when we sit by our tables and eat and we make blessings and maybe we talk some words of Torah and we certainly don't try to slander people. We want a nice conversation. We want an uplifting conversation. So we put salt on the table. Not sprinkle on the table. You have your salt shaker on the table. Right? We have salt on the table because our table is now our altar. This is where we would not bring our sacrifices but the food is I'm eating the food, it's going to help me, it's going to give me strength, I'm going to be able to study Torah, I'm going to have Torah discussions by my table, we're going to talk about kind things and good deeds we can do at our table, it's going to be an uplifting meal, that's the whole uh, purpose, and and so therefore the salt is on the table to cause a the same way the altar's salt was part of the forgiveness process, so to the salt on my dining room table is part of the forgiveness Process and that's pretty much where the where the custom seems to come from. Interesting, um, in France, this probably goes back a thousand years ago, but it was customary that when the head of the household died, his coffin was made up of his dining room table. Now, so you have very expensive dining room tables. I'm not suggesting you start chopping up your dining room tables, but just imagine that you're eating by the table and you know the custom is that when you die, this table that you're eating on is your coffin. 
it's almost like that's this is what's going to accompany me into the next world. So what's right? People always say, if the walls could talk, what would the walls of this room say if they could talk? Well, what would my table say if it could talk? Would it say how I studied Torah there? Would it say how I gave charity at that table? Would it say that I had lively discussions and healthy discussions with my children at the table and wife? Or would the table say, this guy, he can't say even one nice thing about somebody. He slanders. He speaks Lashon Hara. He's nasty. He, his, his jokes are off color. His, as what would the table say? Would you be proud of what your table is saying? That's okay. That's why they did this custom. Friends, maybe that's why the custom doesn't exist anymore because we're all too embarrassed what our table might say. In any case, that's where this sword is coming from. So Lot's wife, so Lot says to his wife, we need salt. Salt. Salt belongs on the table. It's protective. We need the protection. Lot's wife says, I don't believe in God. We're wealthy people. We have our own courts. No one has power over us. We don't need salt. What do we need salt for? But Lot knew why the angels were there. Lot understood the reason the angels are here is because they're destroying these cities. How he knew, I don't know. But Lot knew. He's not a fool. Angels are not just showing up at his doorstep. So if the angels are here to destroy, uh, let me put it the salt. Let, let's do something to show that we rely on God for protection, not ourselves, because our own protection is not going to save us when God turns over these cities. Um, and that can also help us understand that can also help us understand why uh, why uh, why this, it, it says the destruction of Sodom came through salt and sulfur, like sulfur and salt and all. Just the whole place becomes desolate. You ever go to the Dead Sea? That's where Sodom and Amor was. It's empty. It's just desert. And the verse describes it as being a beautiful area, just the best Okay. Anyways, so um, so after Sodom is destroyed, so the angels will take Lot, his wife, and two daughters. He had two daughters still at home. Those are all taken out of Sodom, and they're told to run. Lot actually has two married daughters that stayed in Sodom. And Lot went in that night and tried to talk to them, and they all laughed at him and said, what are you talking about? God's not destroying those cities. It's not happening. Old man, just get out of here. So the angels take Lot, his wife, and two daughters out, but the angels say, do not turn around. You do not deserve to see the destruction of Sodom. Now, by the way, that's uh, an interesting thought going back to Noah and the, and the ark. There was an interesting argument how they got light in the ark, did they, in the teva. Did they have windows? Or did they have this beautiful jewel that gave off light? What's the difference? The difference is, did Noah and his family deserve to see the world being destroyed? Did they deserve it? If they deserved it, if they, if they were on a level that they deserved to see the world being destroyed, to have windows. 
if they're not on that level, if they don't deserve to see the world being destroyed, then they're going to have to have a different light source. Okay, they didn't have light bulbs in those days, so they had these jewels or whatever that gave off their own light, and that's how they got light. So, too, Lot and his family, they deserve, by the way, in the merit of Abraham, they deserve to be saved, but they don't deserve to see the destruction. But Lot's wife turns around. Why is Lot's wife turning around? So the answer is pretty straightforward. She was hoping for her daughters to follow her. Right? She sees now, she made a mistake, she sees that Sodom is being destroyed, and they spoke to her children the night before, and like any mother, she, she's hoping her daughters will come. So she gives that one last look, but she didn't have permission. It reminds me by um, there's a famous story with a great rabbi that he would sit by the bus stop, and he would have his book, and he would be studying. But he never looked up to see if the bus is coming. Why? Because to look to see if the bus is coming, you're not making the bus come any faster. Right? It's, it's part of our nature. Right? We want to know, is the bus coming? Well, either it is coming, or it's not coming. You looking will not change that fact. So I learned from there, by one of my son's uh, weddings, the rabbi that was going to be leading the wedding ceremony. So he was coming from Detroit. The wedding was in New Jersey. A major rainstorm. I didn't even know the whole story. And his flight to Philly was canceled. So he got another plane to LaGuardia. And he had to be driven down. And he was delayed by about an hour and a half. So I'm sitting in the room. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and uh, the bride's um, father comes to me and says, like... First of all, I couldn't believe that I wasn't nervous. I said, what to be nervous? Events is going to get here. When it gets here, it gets here. Like, what, what should I do? But he said, but you're not even looking down the hallway to see if he's coming. I said, because me looking down the hallway is not bringing him here any faster. I might as well just stay inside the room. He came very late. He came. The wedding was beautiful. Everything worked out well. And for those people that were inconvenienced, there was really nothing I could do. But more than that, this rabbi is doing me a favor. He's honoring me by coming. So I'm going to start with Adam. Now, it's not to say we didn't communicate when he was late. He allowed a different rabbi to take care of one of the pieces of paper. And he said to me that uh, he'll be there and they, we should do this and speed up the process and do something else. So we, uh, we took care of it. It was beautiful. But, but that concept, right? You should think yourself sometimes. Do you have the ability when you're waiting for someone or waiting for a bus or waiting for the plane to show up, can you just sit there and wait because you know you're looking is not going to help or you got to get up and look, right? I mean, I have the same thing in class. Okay, it's a little bit different. We have parties in class sometimes and I wait for the parents to come and I'll check on a case if the parents are here. Not because, not because I think if I look down the hallway, the parents are coming faster. I just need to know what to do with my class. And as I can't make them sit quietly for the seven minutes the parents are late. If I see them coming, I can tell the class, okay, they're here. So now let's stop whatever we're doing. I see the parents are not coming. I have to have something else prepared to keep us occupied for a few minutes. Okay, um, so now that Sodom is destroyed, so Abraham doesn't want to hang out here anymore. 
what's the point of hanging out? It's not going to help him hang out if um, it's not going to help Abraham hang out because there's no guests. His source of of hospitality, right? Imagine you have a hotel, and your hotel is located outside of Sodom. Well, there's no Sodom anymore. The city is destroyed. So no one's coming to your hotel. So therefore, Abraham has to leave. All right. The music is playing. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the wonderful production team. We have David in the back today. And we have left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.